This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Hello everyone. Takaho. Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz.
It is now 12 p.m. and you are listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. Kia everyone, welcome to Connecting Cultures Features, a show by, for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin and New Zealand. So today I'm here with a very good friend of mine, Nina Santos. She's a law student, advocate and campaigner um, and we got to know each other from the 25 to Watch Asian New Zealand Foundation. Um, so I'm really excited to have her on the show today. Kia ora Nina. Kia ora, Irina. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Um, you know, it's really great that we're here today. I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> yeah, it has been. I, I'm so happy to see you. Yeah. Um, so before we go on, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Kia ora, mabuhay everyone. My name is Nina Santos, born and raised in Manila, the Philippines. Um, and I now live in Tamaki, Makaoro, Auckland. So like Arena said, I'm a passionate advocate for migrant rights, gender equality, and ethnic communities. And I'm also the campaign delivery manager for Mind the Gap, which is a campaign about closing our gender and ethnic pay gaps. And um, what else? I'm a final year law student at the University of Auckland. So I'm completing an LLB BA conjoint. Um, my arts degree is about politics, international relations, and sociology. So a good range of interesting topics that's a bit about me hmm. and in your introduction there's so many things about you that we can talk about today i'm really <laughs> excited <laughs> I'm, I'm not that interesting as i make it out to be <laughs> you are very interesting that's why you're here today um to talk with us um so let's talk about the asian new zealand foundation i think um it's really great to acknowledge them because they brought us together yeah. <laughs> I, I do love the Asian New Zealand Foundation. And it whilst it has been a while since the 25 to watch list was announced, I do feel like I've made some good connections and I've kept in touch with most of the people like you, Arena. Yeah. And um, it's such a fantastic group of young people who, you know, I trust and I know have my back one way or another. And that's a great feeling, right? For a young person, especially for young women of color, let's be honest, it can be quite isolating doing the work we do doing the advocacy work so it's really nice to find allies who you know can um back you up um when needed yeah yeah i love when we have meetings and we talk about you know the stuff we go through as busy people people who want to do change um there's a lot of um support like well-being support that comes with that that i really enjoy yeah yeah mm -hmm. agreed and they've they do a good job in fostering that kind of camaraderie within the group, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope that we will still meet each other again um, in one of the other future meetings. Uh, I don't, yeah, I feel like we'll be in each other's lives for a long, long time. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, I love the connections we make from there. Um, thank you so much, uh, Nina, for the introduction and, you know, for being here today. Um Something really special about this show is um, we feature multicultural people. And um, it's been a while since I interviewed a Filipino on the show. Um, I There's the Filipino Society like Association here in Dunedin. Um, but let's talk about you because you migrated um, to New Zealand when you were young. Yes, um, not too young, so... I've been here for nine years now. I think I moved. My math was so good. We moved in August of 2013. My dad came here first on a work visa. And about a year after, we were fortunate enough to follow. So me, mom, and my little brother, Godric. And um, at this time, I, I have quite... A, most of my family is still in the Philippines. My, I have a huge family. For mm. context, my mom has like 14 siblings. <gasps> 14. <laughs> yeah, and I constantly need to count how many cousins I have. My family is that big. Um, but two of my aunties are now here, and then I have three cousins here as well. So we're, we're a growing clan, um, but you can imagine why my ties to the Philippines are so strong. And it's mm -hmm. because my heart, the, a big part of my heart still lives there. Yeah. yeah. When was the last time you went back? Um, 
four years ago. That's sad. But the good news is I recently booked flights. So I'm going in July of this Yay! year. Yeah. It's so nice, right? When borders are opening and hearing like reconnection stories. Yes. Mm. Yes. I'm, I'm actually so excited. This is the longest time I haven't been home. So, yeah. Yeah. It'll yeah. be good. I'm so happy for you. Um, I'm planning to go back end of the year-ish. Um, so I'm really excited for that. That's like something I'm looking forward to every day. <laughs> uh, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your Filipino culture. Um, so how would you define your cultural identity and the things that makes you Filipino? Oh, it's a big question. <laughs> well, there are... I've always credited, no, not credited. I've always attributed a lot of who I am with my upbringing in the Philippines. So my upbringing in Manila has yes instilled such a strong sense of grit. Um, and how, as much as I hate the word resilience, it is true. It has um, made me so resilient. And also, um, it, it's kind of just like I'm built different. And I know a lot of migrant kids and Filipino kids can say that as well because it's such a unique environment. Very competitive, um, very busy. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that my parents worked very hard to send me to a school. So I went to St. Scholastica's College and in the Philippines. It's one of the schools that really instills a strong sense of activism in the students. And being... Um, so they do that by introduced like introducing you to the realities so uh you know a strong sense of philippine culture and social justice issues so it's kind of impossible not to be a young activist (laughs) if you went to that school and i'm very i feel very privileged to have had that kind of um awakening at such an early age because up to now most of my advocacies were are rooted in that upbringing and i know that in the philippines where you know a lot in over 40 percent of the filipino population live below the poverty line and there's a plethora of socioeconomic issues facing my people and not a many people have the headspace to focus on politics and big issues like climate justice um because they're just worried about what they're going to feed their families for the day so I, I do feel very privileged to have had that um, early sense of awakening. And now I, it's a privilege to be able to advocate for this. Mm. Um, so I feel like I didn't really answer the question. When I think about my culture, being a Filipino is one of my points of pride. It will always, it always will be because Filipinos are the kindest, most hardworking and most resilient um, group of people you will ever meet. And also the funniest. Honestly, I may sound biased. <laughs> like you cannot be unhappy when you're around a Filipino. Mm-hmm. Well, I can say that. You know, I'm with you right now. I'm, I'm so happy. <laughs> and in saying that, I also do want to acknowledge the duality. There are a lot of um, toxic Filipino traits rooted in our colonial history that I'm still trying to unlearn. Um, and I think both can happen, right? You can be proud of your culture but also um, be doing the unlearning yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. As as someone who has, um, you know, a culture back home in Malaysia, I can totally understand what you mean by that. Like, there's so many things about my culture that I love, you know, I'm so proud of, but there are also things that's, um, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm trying to unlearn. Like, I don't want to pass that on to my future generations, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, it is that tension sometimes I it took me a while to kind of grapple with that tension like yes I do want to represent the Philippines I'm so proud to be a Filipino but there are some traits that I would like you said wouldn't want to pass on to the next generation so it's that um, it's knowing that both truths can exist at the same time you can still have pride but also do the next generation a service by um, acknowledging where things can be better. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to be aware of it sometimes, you know. I think um, the moment I stepped out of Malaysia is when I realized how some things are not so okay. Um, mm. Like, you know, I think it's the migrant 
experience where you're out of the country, you're out of the bubble, and that's when you realize that, oh, okay, like that wasn't very um, normal, <laughs> you know? Um, that shouldn't be the way that it um, that is normalized. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of migrants feel that way as well when they leave their home country and they realize there are so many things that, that can be changed. Yes, because you kind of get an eagle eye eh? if you become a third culture kid. You get an eagle's eye, kind of like a third person's perspective, um, in addition to your own perspective, and you're in a sense you're given a glimmer of hope, and that comparison is, you know, what pushes you to want better and to demand better for your homeland. Yeah. Um. For example, in New Zealand, the standard, like acknowledging that not everything is perfect in New Zealand, a lot of work to be done, hmm. but the standard of governance and the public sector's transparency. Is something I would want the Philippines to aspire towards. Mm. Um, yeah, so you do see, you do see the stark difference, and it kind of gives you um, room to push for better. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you so much, Nina, for sharing that with us. Um, so you came to New Zealand when you were in primary school ish. That age? No, so I went when I was already in high school. So. Ah. Um, late year 10 so I joined in the middle of year 10 and my first year of school year was year 11 my parents was like we're not gonna waste any time two years two days after I landed in Auckland I started school oh my god <laughs> yes mid-year so I literally everyone already knew everyone huh um, they all started in year nine and I was kind of like you know the the, the new kid yeah mid-year so that was fun <laughs> how was that? Like, um, how did people react to that? I'm going to be honest. Most people who I went to school with were very nice. So I went to Auckland Girls Grammar. I think it was the only school that accepted me because I was in zone and they couldn't reject me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and mo- most of the people were really nice. Of course, there was a lot of... Looking back at the time, I had a lot of anxiety, social anxiety about starting... And not only in the new school, but in a new place where I had no, I didn't know anyone. Apart <laughs> two from days that. after arriving. <laughs> yes, two days after arriving. Um, and the culture shock was real, of course. I couldn't understand the accent and mm. the Kiwi slang. <laughs> and um, yeah, lucky for me, Auckland Girls Grammar is a very diverse school. And I feel like I, I found my place um, quite, quite well after a while that's wonderful right like um you know it's so important to adjust well during your first years um coming to a new country um and i'm glad that you had a lot of support with you um yes my parents were very supportive i mean we didn't really know many people if in the community so it was just us oh are there any other filipinos Um, i'm sure there were but um we weren't part of that Filipino community yet. And so it was just us. So I do, oh, I want to give a shout out to my mom, who I mm. think carried a lot of the, uh, she was just my best friend. And I think I was her, I, I am still hers as well. And kind of just, oh, we got, we left all of our family back then. So unlike in the Philippines where, you know, if you're feeling a bit down, you could go talk to family, go talk to your friends. When we moved here, it was completely different. It was just us. So mm. had to rely on each other. So I thank mom for being there Aww. and kind of keeping me sane. Mm. I can totally relate to that as well. Like, um, I'm very close to my mom as well. And um, when she came here, she sacrificed a lot. Like, she worked um, um, part-time as a... Um, housekeeper for a hotel um, and we didn't even realize she was working because we were at school when she was working and um, you know it's just those things that you know a migrant family does for you that to have a good life because um, uh, my dad was a st- student so he got allowances but it was definitely not enough for a, like a family <laughs> yeah. Hmm. yeah just yeah I I get emotional when I talk about my parents' journeys and kind of, you know, the journey to achieve the migrant dream and how you can really see the intergenerational difference. Like our parents, I mean, my parents specifically were tasked with survival. So they were tasked with, you know, making 
making sure we survive day to day and making sure we secure the visa no matter how hard it was. Um, and me, I get to focus on you know, self-actualization and fighting for the things I care about. Well, and they didn't have that luxury. They they were just focused on survival. And I think a lot of migrants can relate to that. Um, so first generation migrants really, especially parents, are really are built different than Exactly. I, I love mine. <laughs> oh, I'm, and I'm so glad that we're very open with this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can relate to this. Um, and to reflect on the generational uh, focuses, you know, like our parents, they were thinking about survival, like money, financial, um, making sure the kids are um, adjusting well. But for, for us, we, all, we have the opportunities to uh, be more of ourselves, to try um different things and our passions you know yeah mm-hmm. i am that's and that's a privilege i don't take lightly i think because i have very i i do acknowledge my privilege but you know albeit quite limited and i do want to acknowledge my parents as hard work to make that to build that intergenerational privilege because yeah. um, it's hard for migrants, especially if you start from nothing. Like we came here with literally nothing, like no connections, no, no properties, and building that inter initial intergenerational wealth in that sense is quite difficult. Um, but there was never a shortage of kind of aspiration in the family. My parents always encouraged me to pursue what I was passionate about, no matter how hard it was. So. Mm. Yeah, very well, lucky in that sense. Must be the Filipino resilience <laughs> in the house. Oh, tell me about it. Like, <laughs> Filipinos are so resilient that our government has literally used that as an excuse to not do anything. They're just relying on people's resilience, um, which I'm, I'm not a fan of. But I do agree that my people, like ugh, we would, we, we would stand so much in the last um, forever, forever. Yeah. So I, I I have a lot of um, admiration, but at the same time, we, I am calling for systematic change because it's not enough exactly. to rely on people's resilience. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nina, for sharing us your journey. I think um, it's so important to put this story that the background of who you were and who you are um, on the show uh, before we talk about the other things that that you're passionate about. Um, We might go on a song break. You brought a song for us today. Yes, I did. Mm. Um, So just for context, in case you haven't heard listeners, um, the Philippine elections are ongoing and the partial results are out. I'm quite disappointed. um, I've been actively campaigning um, against the Marcoses, (laughs) given that they have like a long history of um, corruption and human rights abuses. So I've been campaigning for Lenny, and the first song that I wanted to play is a song by Taylor Swift, which is really quite relevant for what's happening now. It's called Only the Young, and um, listen to the words, and I hope you find some um, solstice. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nina. Um, so we'll be right back after the song break. Keeps me awake to look on your face the moment you heard the news. You're screaming inside and frozen in time. You did all that you could do. The game was rigged, the ref got tricked, the wrong ones think they're right. You were outnumbered this time. Forget. They aren't gonna help us. Too busy helping us. 
And you're back on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM. I'm Arina, and you're here with me uh, and Nina Santos uh, for Connecting Cultures Features, a show by for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin. Uh, Kira Nina, welcome back. Buhai. <laughs> um, so you played a Taylor Swift song for us. Um, can you share with us like how that song, what that song means to you? Yes, I have been listening to this song on repeat because, like I said, um, the weeks leading up to the election have been really stressful. But at the same time, you know, I felt I felt really hopeful because this was probably the closest we got to changing the system and um, you know overthrowing a political dynasty and stopping the Marcoses from getting back into power, which um, for me is really important. Given. Um, how much they've uh, taken from the Philippines, both mm-hmm. literally and <laughs> emotionally, <laughs> morally. Yeah. So this song, this song by Taylor Swift, it's it's actually it's become an anthem almost for young people in the Philippines, and um, amongst many other beautiful Filipino songs. There are lots of Taylor Swift fans in the Philippines, but the first few lines of the song kind of talks about how the game was rigged. The game was rigged, I mean, and then um, we were outnumbered this time. And uh, there are lots of allegations about electoral fraud for this election, which is, you know, really saddening. And I, I have been feeling defeated in the last couple of days. Um, but this song kind of speaks to the power of the youth to change things and how the young young people are the hope of the present and the future. Because, um, yeah, we, we just... We, I, I truly believe that we have the power to change things. Mm. Thank you so much for bringing that um, song for us today and, you know, sharing with us how you feel about it. Um, I think a lot of people need to know what's happening in the Philippines. So I'm glad that you are here today to spread that awareness so people can um, learn more about what's going on. You know, it's not all nice. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um, so let's talk about law because you're currently a law student. Um, mm. Like as you said, growing up, you have been a young activist because of school, uh, because of the school that you went to. Um, what was the reason that you like pursued it um, to where you are now? You're in your final year already. Yeah. So again, my upbringing, not just the school I went to, I think my parents had a huge influence in this. So my dad was uh, an activist um, in the early days. And up to now, he's still less a very strong advocate. Um, I <laughs> once There's a saying in the Philippines that's really quite uh, making the rounds right now, that once you've opened your eyes, you can never shut them again. And once, you've, once you're awoken to the realities of social injustices, it will be an injustice to be blinded to it again, to turn a blind eye. And that's the, that's was my main reason for pursuing law. I, um, I, I guess I have a very idealistic answer. I wanted to know the system so I can change it. And in the Philippines, there are so many people without um, access to justice and without access to proper representation. It's actually reserved just for the rich people. So that gap, think about it, it is just heartbreaking. And I think it's one of the main reasons I decided to go to law school. And bringing that here in the New Zealand context, I think I've throughout my journey in law school, the purpose has kind of changed. The, actually, the why has remained, but I've discovered things along the way. So I. When I started out, I thought I wanted to be an environmental lawyer, and then I did family law, and I was like, I'm definitely going to be a family lawyer. And now at Mind the Gap, it's all about legislative reform and um, still changing a legal system that doesn't, that's not fit for purpose, that leaves out um, some communities and some women. So I, I quite enjoy working in this area. Um, when some someone asked me once, well. A lot of people always ask me, and this is the question I hate, like, oh, you're graduating soon. What kind of lawyer are you going to be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And, but I finally have an answer to it. I think I want to be a lawyer that changes the law. Um, the law is not fit for purpose. It leaves out so many. Um, it doesn't work, especially for women of color and communities of color. Um, it's very Eurocentric. So I want to be, I want to have a role in changing that. 
That is amazing. You know, thank you so much for sharing that. It's just um, really remarkable of um, to see your journey because um, I've known you since probably two years ago, three years ago, two thousand nineteen. Um, the twenty five to watch and to see your journey grow from you know the things that you're doing and suddenly um, th- there's the mind uh, mind the gap um, um, movement that you are doing um, and to see. All the things that you're doing, um, it's amazing. And I'm sure that we can talk more about that later in this show. Thank um, you, Same goes with you. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I think let's talk about migrant rights, you know, because we're already on this topic. Um, so what do you see um, is happening around migrant rights and um, like the gender pay gap? ethnic pay gap um, in New Zealand? Oh, there's a broad range. But I think in general, I can safely say that migrants are an afterthought in this country. Um, So in terms, and in saying that migrants tend to bear the brunt of a lot of um, inequalities. For example, with Mind the Gap, it's all about pay inequity and equal pay. Um, There is such thing as a migrant pay gap. So migrants on average get paid less than the average Pakeha man. And that's not surprising given the many structural barriers that they face. For example, the immigration system, uh, the way that work visas are structured, you know, the bondage nature of that, the fact that most employers are tied to their, um, most employees are tied to their employers makes them more susceptible to exploitation because they don't have much bargaining power. Because, of course, if you're a migrant, your number one focus is to secure a visa and support your family. A lot of Filipinos, for example, their families rely on them to um, for remittance back home. Mm. And so um, migrants are more susceptible to exploitation and pay inequity because of the power imbalances in the workplace. So it, it all kind of all of the odds um, are stacked against migrants in terms of um, fair pay and that, that, that's really sad and I don't think that's right um, or the immigration system is, is also extremely ableist and extremely elitist and classist so lower paid migrants um, you know who, who's fighting for them is there space for them and yeah, it, it's disappointing to see because some politicians have been and a lot of groups have actively been calling for an immigration reform, an overhaul of the whole system because it just doesn't work. Um, and let's not forget the main issue of discrimination and racism that a lot of migrants face in New Zealand. Uh, there, you, you just have to look at the New Zealand Herald or stuff comment section to know how that <laughs> is. I, like every time you try to advocate for a cause um, about migrant rights or demand better outcomes, everyone's like, oh, you know, you should just be grateful you're here. That's that's the main line always, you know, the grateful migrant effect, as I like to call it. Yeah, People want to make you feel like you should be grateful for the bare minimum because you've had less in the past. But that's such that's not a good mindset because in in the Philippines you're comparing it to like you know standards that aren't don't fit the human rights standards per mm. se. Um, so it's not a good comparison. I think New Zealand can absolutely do absolutely do better. And yeah, I thought to hold the work of many migrant advocates because there's a lot of work to be done. Mm. And with mind the cap. Um you are working towards advocating about this. Can you share with us about Mind the Gap and how it started? Yes, so Mind the Gap is an alliance back campaign and it's all about um, closing the gender and ethnic pay gaps. We want three very clear things. Number one, we want the government to introduce new legislation that makes, um, makes it mandatory for larger businesses to report their gender and ethnic pay gaps. It sounds boring, but the premise is that when businesses report their gaps and measure it, it can reduce the gap by up to 20 to 40%. So that's huge, right? And it's not a new concept. Countries like the UK, Canada, Australia, they all have pay gap reporting regimes. 
but in New Zealand, we seem to be lagging behind. So we're actively campaigning for that change. The second part is we we host New Zealand's first public pay gap registry. So we list um, New Zealand's big businesses. And for the first time ever, you can see which businesses report their gaps and how big they are. Mm-hmm. So that, that transparency really is key. We like to say that sunlight is the best disinfectant because un- until they focus on this issue, it's going to be hard to address. And the third part of our campaign is encouraging everyone, especially those with the privilege to do so, to just ask about pay gaps in their workplaces. Pay has always been an awkward topic, hasn't it? Hmm. Yeah, it's not awkward by chance. Like literally capitalism has made it so hard for employees to talk about pay. So they don't have that negotiating power. So yeah, like literally up until now, I feel I feel shy and kind of awkward to talk about pay with my workmates. Like, that's just how society is built. That's how capitalism works to make us feel. And um, that's why we want to change that culture of pay gap transparency. We want everyone to be talking about that because once you find that discrepancies and the differences, then we can all, you know, it, it gives us a better chance at changing things. Mm, I love this. Um, it's about being transparent with the yeah. real situation. Um, and the first point you said was um, reporting. Um, some companies don't even realize they have a pay gap. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many pay gap deniers we have. Um, and you're right. So in France, for example, France or Denmark, they found out that most companies don't know that they have a pay gap until they actually ran the numbers. So that's what we want. We want it to be required of businesses because most businesses would have a gap. And until they look at the the numbers, the, you know, they'll have a hard time uncovering the reasons for that gap. It's mostly firm behavior, hiring practices, the bias and discrimination that drive it. Hmm. So, um, yeah, we, we do think that transparency is key. Mm, that's interesting, right? Because some, like some people, they don't realize they're being sexist or they're being racist um, until they realize, oh, you know, there are subconscious uh, reasons for um, those stats. <laughs> yes, that's why we really need to confront it. Yeah. Hmm. And how is it going now, the campaign? It's good. We're tracking well. So in March, uh, two months ago, we, la- we launched the first pay gap registry, like I said. Mm-hmm. And then we launched a new report last week, which showed the potential impact for um, New Zealand if pay gap reporting law is introduced. And it said that if new law is introduced, the average woman on, a, on the median wage could get up to $35 a week more. Wow. And that's huge, right? Like, especially in, in these times, like the cost of living is at, at an all-time high. And $35 would make a huge difference. I can pay for your bus pass, your train pass, more groceries, can go towards rent. So we can't afford to waste more time. Exactly. Yeah. And thank you so much for, you know, um, organizing this movement and helping us to um, spread the awareness. I think it's so important. Um, And have you got a lot of support from other people about this? Um, yes, yeah, so I work with a great team of people. And like I said, we're an alliance-backed campaign. So we have over 20 allied organizations. So unions, um, community groups, advocacy groups, they're all on our slate. So, you know, it's not just us pushing for this change. There's a whole raft of people or and organizations who want this to happen as well, which is great to see. Mm. And it's really interesting to see which companies are going to actually do it and which companies are going to just avoid this whole situation (laughs) um it's been great so 55 organizations now report the gender pay gaps so that's good progress right but that's a very small portion of who we want to report we need you know all companies with more than 50 or more staff to reveal their gaps because that's that's how we can maximize the impact and only legislative reform can do that so yeah yeah Well, um, I'm really excited to see the outcome of this. You know, I've been following your Instagram and, you know, seeing your updates. It's amazing. I I feel really positive, but we just need to keep the pressure on. Yes, Mm, definitely. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much, Nina. Um, Something I do want for us to talk about in this show is 
well-being. Because you know, from all the conversations we have today, um, you are a busy gal. You know, there's so many things happening. Um, you're busy with work, um, studies, and um, the Mind the Gap um, movement, and also all the crazy things happening back home in the Philippines. Um, there must be a lot of toll that's you know, wanting to bring you down every day. How do you maintain your well-being or, you know? Um, so I think I can share this now. So last year I went through a really rough phase of just a burnout because I wasn't happy with where I was, wasn't happy with my job. I was studying full-time, working full-time, kind of just saying yes to everything. But um, I'm really happy to share that I've, you know, been slow. I'm, I'm on a healing journey as we all are, uh, working on setting more boundaries, learning how to say no, which is, you know, easier said than done. But yeah, just enforcing the boundaries and kind of spending more time with people I love. Mm. Sounds really cliche. But um, I've also gotten into reading this year, which I think has been really, really helpful for my mental health. So when I read books, that's automatically less screen time. So it's two birds, one stone. I would recommend it to anyone. But yes, just uh, kind of being brave enough to say no and, you know, not letting yourself be overridden with the guilt of saying no. Mm, I, that's I'm really hard. Yeah, I'm a recovering people placer. So that's one of my struggles. I kind of just want to impress everyone and not let them down. But you, you got to put you first mm. in the wise words of Taraji P. Henson. You got to put you first. Um, and yeah, spending time with people I love, more family time, and I think more time with my boyfriend, Maddie, who I love. <laughs> really helpful for me. They kind of just ground me as well. Like, kind of, they remind me why I do the work I'm doing. Yes. Exactly. And it, yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally relate to that. Like, um, as someone who wants to do everything, I can't, you know, and always thinking about taking a step back and remembering to take care of myself before because you can't bring this um, burnout self to whatever you want to do. Yes. Mm. One of my main realizations in the last year is that we are the asset. Like, you're the asset, Arena. I'm the asset. So, like, we have to take care of ourselves because if we're burnt out, we can't deliver mm. good for the world. Yeah. So, we, we really have to take, you know, fill our own cups first before filling others cups mm -hmm. and um yeah i've been really lucky that in the past year my workplace has been very supportive i think that that plays a huge role um with my mental well-being especially since you know uh, I, I tend to work a lot if i'm really passionate about something as i'm sure you are you tend to give it 110 percent yeah <laughs> um just making sure you're around good people and having the courage of course with with that with fear of sounding privileged i know there's a lot of people it, it takes a you need privilege to be able to quit a job you hate like that takes money yeah. and I, I learned that as well but um sometimes you just need to trust and um you trust the universe something will come up and yeah. the darkness you the darkness won't last forever you just have to be brave sometimes and kind of say no, this isn't the place where I want to be. Something else will be better. Hmm. Something I really like from this conversation is that when I ask you, like, how do you take care of your being, your well-being, you didn't say something additional, like, because we're doing a lot already. Um, and what's probably fit for uh, people who are trying to be productive like us is to be unproductive. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I would really recommend this book. It's one of my favorite reads of the year. It's called Setting Boundaries by um, Rebecca Ray. I'm a big fan of self-help books. Like you would have seen from my Instagram. Yes, yes. I read one every week. Yeah. This book has been so good. It kind of... Because as, as a recovering people pleaser, there's a lot of guilt in saying no and kind of, you know, not doing anything. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so... I actually, if I can find it, I'll try to read one of the things. But basically, it tells you that, you know, you can... Okay, I just want to read some of this. Hmm. 
Um, accept that showing up authentically means you won't always make everyone happy. Some people will be disappointed and that's okay. Recognize that your worth is not dependent on what others think of you. Um, and I think that, that that's just really helpful because sometimes saying no is one thing, but dealing with the guilt yeah. that you have after saying no and not doing anything it can be the hardest bit mm. um, and you don't want to let people down that's especially you know women women <laughs> we hate letting people down that that's how society has conditioned us yeah but uh yeah you you have to put your well-being first mm, i love that i'm gonna find that book <laughs> please do please yeah. do oh thank you so much nina um you know i really appreciate talking to you today i feel whole again you know just reaching out to a friend um and like you know when we have events it's kind of hard to talk deeply Mm. um having like we just had a one hour-ish conversation today you know (laughs) it's crazy i'm so glad i'm so glad we did yeah um so before we end the show um i really hope for you to play another song for us today absolutely so the next song um, it's one of my favorite Filipino songs. It's called Liwanag sa Dilim. And that translates to light in the dark. Um, I think it's also relevant to the current events now with the elections and with a lot of people feeling feeling hopeless. And um, yeah, you as much as I feel defeated, I can't be hopeless. I always have to be hopeful and keep fighting, keep soldiering on because we need to. Um, and this song, I think, speaks to that. So, um, everyone, be the light in the dark. Uh, there's a particular line in the song which literally translates to... Um, so, it says, Isigaw mo sa hangin, tumindig at magsilbing, liwanag sa dilim. So, scream it loud in the air and serve as the light in the dark. And I hope we all get to be that at one point or another in our lives. Mm, that is beautiful. And what a beautiful song to end the show with as well. Um, thank you so much, Nina. I really appreciate you being here today. No worries. Thanks for having me, Arena. Bawat nilalang magigising ang lupang kulang sa dilim. Ikaw ang magsasabing kaya mo tulad ng isang tanglaw sa gitna ng bagyo. Isigaw mo sa hangin, tumindig at magsilbing liwanag, liwanag sa dilim. Harapin mo magiting ang bagong awitin. Ikaw Paghamon mo sa agos ng ating kasaysayan Uukit ka ng bagong daan oh, oh. Ikaw ang maawit na Kaya mo to Sampanalangin sa gitna ng bulo Isigaw mo sa hangin Magsilbing Liwanag Liwanag sa dilim Harapin mo Magiting ang bagong awitin Ikaw ang
Sigaw mo sa hangin, tumindig at magsilbing. Liwanag sa dilim. Hanapin mo magiging ang bagong awitin. Liwanag! Sigaw mo sa hangin, tumindig at magsilbing. Liwanag sa listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.